Hi, and welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. On today's episode, I'm your host, Brady Brewer, and joining me today is Michael Langmeyer, a professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics um, and Associate Director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture, and Ed Ferris, an extension educator in Huntington County. Uh, before we get started, this is part of the broader farm succession planning series. So for other farm succession planning topics, uh, please go to those podcasts here on the Center for Commercial Agriculture's uh, AgCast podcast. Uh, and I also want to take a moment to highlight where this information is coming from. Uh, so for more succession planning, so for more comprehensive succession planning materials, uh, I advise all listeners to go to the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website and the Purdue Institute for Family Businesses website uh, for more materials on succession planning. Specifically, I wanna highlight the document that the bulk of the material we'll be discussing here today comes from. And that document is called The Farm's Legacy, a guidebook for intra-family succession. Uh, you can find that on the Purdue education store. It is free for download, and it will also be linked on the Purdue Centers for Commercial Agriculture's website as well for download. There is a number that goes along with that. Um, if you can't find this document by the name of the document, uh, the number is EC-817-W. So for more information about the topics we are discussing uh, here today, uh, that is is the guidebook that has all the farm succession planning materials from the farm succession team. So in today's podcast, we are going to be discussing uh, financial readiness for succession. So Michael, I, I'll pitch this first question to you. What do we mean when we say financial readiness for succession? There's a lot of different things we need to think about when we're when someone's coming back to the farm and we're looking at transitioning uh, transitioning part of the management and, and the farm uh, to a younger generation. And one of those is related to the financial position of the farm. And so when we talk about financial readiness, what we're really talking about, uh, is there enough liquidity? Is there enough solvency? And probably most importantly, is the farm profitable enough to compensate someone that's coming back to the farm? And so let me talk a little bit more detail about some of the financials that, that we really need to take a look at uh, when someone's coming back to the farm. Obviously, uh, we're gonna talk more about the balance sheet a little bit later here, but obviously the balance sheet, uh, and here specifically we're talking about, uh, is, is there liquidity, uh, is, is, is the liquidity of this farm solid? Because some of that liquidity is probably gonna be drawn down when we, st when we start paying this person coming back to the farm. And so that's a very important consideration. Another one, what, what is the debt structure on this farm? Uh, if, if the farm needs to expand, uh, do we have the ability to do that? Uh, do we have the ability to, to borrow money on, on farmland that we own uh, and, and, and so on? And so that's also a very important consideration. Uh, and, then, uh, and then looking at that uh, uh, farm income, uh, typically the way, way I handle that is I look at the net farm income over a, over a number of years, not just the last year. For example, 21 was a very good year. You can't base decisions on, on a year like 21. And so I like to look at a five, 10 year period in terms of profitability and just ask the basic question, is that net farm income big enough to support both the people that are currently on the farm and the people that are 
are, are joining the operation? And, and if it's not, uh, do, we, do, do we need to expand? Does this person coming back uh, need an off-farm job? And so these are some of the questions that we're trying to address before uh, the person actually comes back to the farm. One, another way to kind of analyze this is by looking at repayment capacity. We've talked about that in other podcasts, Brady. And essentially what you're doing there is you're saying, does the farm have enough cash flow, if you will, to pay debt? And that would include any debt we might incur uh, because we're expanding in anticipation of coming, coming back to the farm and uh, pay the salaries of the people uh, that are on the farm. And so, so there's a number of different ways we can look at this, profitability, cash flow, liquidity, and solvency. But all of these are important to, to look at uh, when, when someone's coming back to the farm. Yeah, you certainly don't want to uh, add a new member to the farm if financially you can't uh, afford it. Now, the financial is just one piece. Now, Ed, I want to ask you this next question, thinking about, you know, uh, the feasibility of adding a new member to the farm. Is there a feasibility test that we can go through or is there a checklist or, or what are the things we should be thinking about if we are planning to add someone uh, to the farm here in the near future? Yes, there is a, a feasibility test that uh, is, is recommended to think about these key proficiency areas. And that would include management, uh, policies, for the operation and family structure, um, critical agreements and farm financials. So each of these areas, it's way a, a checklist would help would be just thinking about, you know, is, is there something in place? Are you, or is it in process? Do, or maybe you don't even need it. Maybe it's, it, so, so this checklist is really something that is gonna be unique to each family that and is going to be uh, changing as, as time moves forward when when you think about you know what stage you're at with this the, the, you know transitioning for for management so you know thinking about management and looking at the strategy for the farm operation and considering a cash flow projection um, you know what are, what are your routine tasks that are done at, in the operation decisions that that daily have to be made, you know, who, who is responsible for making those decisions? Do you have that, those uh, uh, governance agreements in place? And, and then thinking about, uh, uh, it goes hand in hand with the policies uh, that you have, um, you know, what kind of things are, are critical to the farm operation? You know, if, if it's a uh, multi, um, which many farm operations are, you've got different, um, People involved, you may have Uncle Joe that that always takes a, a fishing trip in the in the certain time of the year, and and you know, he, and so if if you don't go into this realizing that he's going to be away from the operation at that certain time, and and you know who's going to cover uh, those those things, and and thinking about um, you, you know just just the compensation levels. And or is you know what's what's your classification? So that, that covers the policies and the, the critical agreements. That would cover things like uh, you know your buy sell agreements that you have for for people uh, that want to buy into the farm operation. Who who is uh, in, involved with with family members? Is there outside people that that may want to eventually become involved? And uh, then then you know you get you got your 
lease and rental arrangements. There's um, insurance, liability, health and disability, uh, revenue sharing agreements, uh, you know, how, how that's structured. And then just looking at the farm financials, thinking about things like your cash flow we mentioned already your balance sheet, income statements, depreciation schedules, production records, and you know some budgeting. You know this is a critical time right now to to be, you know, ever thinking about budgeting is with with where we're at with with commodity prices and 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 input costs is is getting that cost price squeeze. You know, look looking at those um, and and whenever somebody's uh, looking at, you know, making a major change, coming back to the operation, perhaps that has, has been away for a while, or, you know, is, is slowly um, scaling more into that business. That's, that's, uh, these things are, are critical. So. So, Ed, that's a pretty extensive uh, list that you just mentioned. Of, yes, it is. Uh, stuff that they need to be thinking about. Does the farm need to have every one of those boxes checked now or how, how do they need to think about filling out this entire checklist um, here over the, you know, the next couple of years? So really that's, that's uh, important to, to, to identify, you know, what are the most critical items uh, that, that are, that need to be in place uh, because, you know, obviously if, if something, you know, you have a potential health issue or, or some, you know, somebody could, could not be available to um, run the operation, you know, making sure you have those, those uh, contingency plans and is, you know, some things that are maybe the most critical. Um, so, but, but some things are, are more um, could, could be identified as, you know, you're going to be working on that or, you know, for, for perhaps in the next five to 10 years, because, you know, it's a retirement thing that, that so you have goals set where, where a certain family member does want to eventually retire in 10 years. So, so that's, th- those are, those are going to be different for each farming operation. Yeah. And a lot of those uh, things that you mentioned, I, you know, I can say from personal experience, you don't necessarily think of uh, vacation days being a farmer or having, uh, you know, planning that out with uh, your colleagues, but that is a reality when you add new members into it that you want to have those come at opportune times or not all at the same time. So, you know, some of these is just planning and, and getting ahead of the curve on the wants and needs of, of additional people that you're adding to the farm. So speaking of the wants and needs, Ed, I want to turn to a next topic, which I I think is a pretty tricky topic for a lot of farm families, and that's living expenses and income needs. Um, why and how do we need to estimate, uh, you know, our living expenses and how does that factor in to uh, succession planning? Well, I, I think back to when I started as a lender and working with a lot, some of these dairy operations and the mindset was, well, we provide milk, meat and a truck for you, you know. You really don't have a lot of living needs that, that you know we've maybe got housing for this person, and so so sometimes I think they just 
assume that there's there's so many advantages because you're part of the farming operation you you know it's the farm pays for certain things and and i, I think that's that's the mindset that that people often go into this but uh really what what is important is in thinking about the living needs is is really identifying what what all is involved there you you've got uh you know annual expenses with insurance you've got uh you know debt that that perhaps on you know maybe maybe the uh the residential uh for for a person you, you've got um other things that that uh, you know family expenses maybe there's children that are going into college and you know just just your typical things that that you have to come up with uh for for uh a person that's that's maybe making a big switch uh to become a part of the farm operation and and just re, you know realizing that that there are um critical areas that that um uh, you know if, if there's not enough uh producing from the farm that's going to cause future uh con- communication issues so so really identifying and setting down uh you know each each uh, family to making sure that that you know, you understand what, what your living costs truly are. And, you know, if in some cases you do have at least one person working outside the farming operation that may be um, able to uh, uh, obtain, you know, some, some uh, insurance coverage. So, so that, that is less of a outflow for the, the farm itself. Um, but, um, you know, and if you if you really look ahead for for retirement, you know, is there is there a, a plan to put, put away money away from the farm in a, in a 50401k, um, something uh, investment that that's not just particularly tied to the farm? That's that's, w- w- you know, what I think uh, is is important as well as if there is a uh, for for longevity for uh, some people that are joining the operation. Yeah, and this can be a, uh, you know, forecasting your needs in retirement is always something that's going to be difficult. I know uh, here at our job at the university, you know, we have retirement plans. And part of that is there's a financial calculator that I can get on and say, here's how much I think I'll spend in retirement. Here's the age I think I will retire at. Um, You know, so, you know, it can give me a a rough uh, estimate of what I will need in 30 years to retire. And sometimes that can be daunting, but it also just gives me an idea of, you know, I I did that a year or two ago and I realized, well, I may need to be putting a hundred or so more away a month to reach my financial goals here in, in 30 years. And I know that's a long ways away. But small changes now can really help uh, when you do need to do that, the, the transfer of succession uh, when the time comes. So we've talked a lot about financials. Uh, Michael, I, I want to turn next to you and think specifically about the balance sheet. Um, you know, we've talked about cash flow, but let's think about the assets of a farm. Farms are typically uh, pretty asset heavy. So do we need an accurate assessment of the farm's balance sheet, particularly on the asset side uh, for this financial readiness roadmap that we're, that we're doing here? Obviously, we need a balance sheet if we're going to borrow money, and so a lot of farms will have a balance sheet, uh, but it's so important that this balance sheet is accurate, and it's done at the same time every year. And so if we're a calendar year farm, uh, doing that balance sheet as close as possible to January 1 is always a good idea. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of the items on a balance sheet. This is not a 
podcast to to just focus on the balance sheet, but let's talk about some of the assets that are on the balance sheet. Obviously, we, uh, the, the liquidity situation is defined by the, the current assets. The, one of the largest current assets on farms is crops in, in storage, uh, but also there could be some market livestock on a farm. Those are, those are key uh, current assets uh, that are really uh, sometimes quite large uh, on, on most farms, uh, some of the most important current assets, but there also would be cash, uh, for example, as, as a current asset, that's, a, that's always a good current asset to pay, uh, pay bills. And then you have the current liabilities, uh, the, the operating debt uh, that, you, that, that uh, you need to pay sometime during the year, but also uh, the current portion of term debt. Uh, you're going to have some principal payments due on the machinery or land loans that you have. And so the current portion is a current liability. And so, and so taking a look at that liquidity is always a good idea. Uh, looking at the longer term assets, we have machinery and equipment, grain bins, um, shop, uh, and other buildings that we need to we need to make sure is on the balance sheet. Any debts associated with those assets also uh, would be on the balance sheet. And then we get to the, one of the most important assets on most farms, land. And so obviously we want to we want to value land at its market value on most balance sheets, but also clearly record the debt uh, that's associated with each track of land. And so it's really easy to figure out uh, where that, uh, which tracks of land uh, that debt is assigned to. Uh, and so sometimes we just have a, you'll just see a number on the balance sheet that says uh, real estate debt, 505,000. Um, you at least have a footnote or, or uh, auxiliary statement that, that indicates uh, what, what, what does that 505,000 represent? Is that, is that one piece of land? Is that two pieces of land? Where are the mortgages for, uh, you know, what, what mortgages are represented uh, by that 505,000? So detailing that is very important. And the reason why that's so important is one of the decisions that a farm's gonna make when someone's coming back to the operation typically is, should we expand? And, and just as importantly, should we expand by leasing land or should we expand by buying land or both? And really that decision is gonna be, it's, to, to make that buying decision in particular, it's gonna be very critical to assess uh, how, how much, how many assets, how, what, how much land do we have in terms of value and how much debt do we have on that land? If we have quite a bit of land with very little real estate debt, uh, the farm's in a pretty good position uh, to purchase land. Uh, if, if land's available. If that's not the case, then probably leasing land is going to be a better option. And so that's why that that's why that balance sheet is so important uh, to have an accurate balance sheet, clearly clearly indicating uh, you know where where the what what assets the debt is associated with, so we can make these very important decisions about whether we should buy uh, additional machinery. Uh, to, to accommodate uh, expansion of the farm or whether we need to lease land or purchase land. So, Michael, I want to ask a follow-up question. Uh, you talked about valuing the land at, at market value. Um, obviously, when you go to the bank and your lender, you want it to be at market value so you get the full value of that collateral, which allows you to maximize you know, what you're able to uh, borrow against it. But when we think about the financial readiness and the succession plan and retirement, should uh, should there be a sensitivity analysis done to be to take a conservative number to say if 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 the land is only going to be at eighty five percent of what I think it may be valued at or eighty percent would this still work should you should you do a worst case scenario here to add in a little bit of contingency? 
Definitely. And, and uh, definitely uh, uh, doing something like that would be very prudent. Again, uh, you can have multiple balance sheets. You can have the, the base balance sheet where the land is, is valued at market, but then take a look at that. What if, what if land was 10% lower? What if it's 20% lower? Uh, could I still purchase additional ground and, and be able to repay the debt? And so, yes, Marie, that, 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 that's an excellent idea uh, to, to look at sensitivity analysis, particularly with respect to land values. I don't think that's quite as critical uh, many times with respect to some of the other assets on the balance sheet, uh, but we have, to re- we, we have to remember that on average, we look at, U- at U.S. farm uh, balance sheet, uh, 82% of all the assets are land. Uh, and so that's why we wanna kind of focus on that sensitivity analysis on land values and, and, and when we're purchasing land, but also leasing land. Because many times we're leasing land, we're going to incur quite a bit of debt doing that too. And we always want to we always want to ask that question: uh, if if we're if we're expanding, are we going to be able, have generate enough cash flow to pay for the debt associated with with that expansion? So, I want to move now to the next topic, uh, and that is the division of income or the allocation of sweat equity in the business. Obviously, on the financial readiness side. Uh, we're going to have to divide the income as we think about bringing new business partners into the farm. So, Michael, I, I want to ask you, how how should we divide or what are the ways we can think about dividing the, the income or the sweat equity in the farm? Yeah, before I get into dividing a uh, business income, one of the things I think uh, farms need to think about is when this new person comes back to the farm, should they be paid a salary? for the first three, uh, two to three years, rather than becoming a full partner in the business. And the reason why I say this is important is first of all, uh, that that person coming back to the farm, they may have a, a family that they're bringing with them and they may want some stability in that income for that first three years. You can do that by paying them a salary rather than making them a partner from day one because that, that family coming back to the farm probably doesn't have have a real uh, strong balance sheet compared to uh, the, the, the family that's already there. And so they really don't have a cushion to fall back on. And so pay, and another reason for paying a salary for the first uh, first two to three years, it's usually not any longer than that, but for the first, first two to three years is we, we wanna see if this is gonna work out. Uh, we think it's gonna work out, but maybe 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 there's gonna be conflict. Maybe this is not really what, the, what this person really wants to do for the rest of their life. It's different. Uh, it's different growing up on a farm and, and 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 seeing the farm from that angle to being a partner in the business. Uh, you're treated differently, and 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 sometimes it's hard for families to adjust to that transition uh, from uh, just being a worker on the farm, growing up on the farm as a teenager, to becoming a, a full partner on the farm. And so and so this transition period, two to three years, paying someone a salary is a good idea. Now, once we get past that, that stage where we're paying a salary, then we need to start thinking about how should we compensate uh, the, the younger generation and the older generation. And I, I'm a strong believer in what I call the contribution model. And what that, what that model essentially does is it looks at the, the effort in terms of uh, work that goes into the business. So it counts for that uh, as, as a contribution for each party, but it also looks at the assets of both parties. And so the older generation has quite a bit of land uh, that they own personally. Uh, They own a a vast majority of the machinery. They should be compensated for the fact that they own that machinery, that they own that land. And so so from a contribution standpoint, 
they should get a larger share of that net farm income than than the younger generation uh, because because they, we need to pay for those assets uh, that that older generation owns. And this is particularly important for land because for most farms, land is is owned outside of the entity. Uh, it's usually owned by 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 the farm family, but it, but it's owned personally. And so we want to make sure that we're paying cash rent. And I would I would recommend paying market cash rent uh, to the people that own that land. So make sure that they're getting compensation for the fact that they own those assets. You were asking earlier about retirement. For many many uh, farms, this is the retirement. Uh, this this uh, this savings of this rent over time. Um, you know that is that represents their retirement. And when someone face completely faces out of the business that might be their primary source of retirement income. And so it's very important to make sure that those assets that are owned, particularly land, are paid for in addition uh, to the labor. And so that's why I don't like things like, well, we're gonna split net farm income 50-50. Well, you don't, you don't uh, the younger generation doesn't own 50% of the assets. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and now, now over time, Time, uh, the younger generation is going to be uh, more critical to buy, you know, critical part of buying machinery, perhaps even buying land, and so their contribution will grow over time, and so they'll get a, a larger pro proportion uh, of the net farm income. Uh, but that's how I kind of think about it. You asked a, another question. This is a whole other can of worms uh, related to sweat equity. Uh, what sweat equity really means is we're not able to pay this per person coming back to the farm their full opportunity cost. Let's say that this person could get could get a job someplace in, in Indianapolis or someplace like that and earn $60,000 uh, in that job. Uh, when they come back to the farm, we may not be able to afford uh, to give them a $60,000 salary. Maybe their salary is $40,000. And what we need to do is we need to keep track of that uh, in, in, a, in, in some way. Uh, and realize that that part of part of the income that they're not earning, uh, not part of their opportunity cost, or we're going to compensate for later on. Uh, maybe they're going to inherit a larger portion of the land, for example. Uh, and that's what that's what we mean by sweat equity is they did not earn uh, their full opportunity cost over time. And so uh, and so when those assets are divided in the estate, perhaps that person that come back to the farm should get a higher percent. To reflect the fact uh, that they they were not paid uh, their full opportunity cost, and and this is something that would not happen uh, if we were able to pay uh, somebody their full opportunity cost. But in most family businesses, that's just not the way it works, and so uh, we need to keep track of this, this sweat equity. Yeah, and um, these are not easy conversations to have, especially when it comes to the compensation of individuals. Uh, I do want to just take a quick moment to say, you know, for information on conflict management within the families on, on these farm succession planning and road mapping, because this is one small piece of the broader farm succession puzzle, uh, please check out the other resources we have um, on those very related topics uh, and in some cases, topics that allow for the uh, an easier implication or easier implementation of uh, some of these pieces to the puzzle. And and what a related point here, Brady, that I, I run across all the time is is it's so important for the older generation to be very transparent uh, with the with the person coming back to the farm, but also the off farm heirs. 
uh, and say, we're, we were not able to compensate this person coming back to the farm. Uh, you, for example, we were not able to pay $60,000 salary. Because of that, we're going to, we're going to account for the, that fact in the estate. And so, and, so, and so be very transparent with the person coming back to the farm, but also, but also uh, with, with the off-farm heirs and say, this is, this is, this is why uh, the person coming back to the farm is gonna get a larger, a larger percentage of that land is to account for the sweat equity. And I think going back to the contributions that Michael talked about, sometimes uh, what we see is families have start having communication problems simply because they don't take the time to think about uh, what all the costs are associated with owning those assets. And, you know, it really comes down to uh, something that I learned back in high school, ag economics classes, which was the dirty five costs, you know, depreciation, interest, taxes, repairs, and, and insurance. Um, you know, those, those uh, dirty five costs, don't always get all accounted for, and that can cause some communication problems as as you um, set up these these uh, uh, different arrangements with between family members that that are you know somebody coming back and, and who has you know or or just adding somebody new to the business. So yeah, and getting your financial readiness and making sure well making sure you are financially ready. Uh, to take on this family business or take on a new family member is, is in my mind, kind of the first step to initiating this, the succession plan. Well, first step of many, um, to, to be perfectly honest, uh, to make sure that you have this smooth transition. Uh, so with that today, we are out of time. I just want to remind our listeners for more economic information uh, and farm management information, please visit the Purdue Center for Commercial Ag's website at purdue.edu backslash commercial ag or the Purdue Institute for Family Business website at purdue.edu backslash department backslash ag econ backslash fam biz. Um, again, the information that we mainly referenced on today's episode is from the document that is titled The Farm's Legacy a guidebook for intra-family succession. And uh, the information today came from chapter three of that guidebook. And that is on the Purdue Extension Education Store, as well as will be linked on the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website. Uh, please follow the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture on Twitter. Um, their handle is at Purdue Fam, or sorry, at PU Commercial Ag. And the Purdue Institute for Family Businesses Twitter is at Purdue Fam Biz. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and the Purdue Institute for Family Business and the Farm Transition Team, we thank you for listening to today's episode. 